So I have a question for you. We're, we're going through the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy, and the question I have for you, and if you've not been here for the last few weeks, I'll explain the question, but it sounds a bit like a TV show. How do you solve a problem like... No, it's not quite as catchy. How do you solve a problem like Hymenaeus and Philitus? Have I pronounced them correctly, Ian? Because we've been reading this together. I think I have, haven't I? No one really knows or or cares anyway. But for for their own benefit, we'd like to get as close as we can. How do you solve a problem like Hymenaeus and Philitus? Who are they, some of you are thinking? We've previously read about them, but they're, they're, they're people who are mentioned in 1 Timothy, written some 10, 12, 13, 15 years before 2 Timothy, who in 1 Timothy are, are, are removing themselves from the gospel, from, from the normal teaching, and they're kind of the word that we used was swerved from it, and they're teaching other people stuff about God, stuff about Jesus that isn't true. And so in, in 2 Timothy, T- Timothy says that their teaching is spreading like gangrene. He gives this really awful image of, of what they're doing to the church. And it's, so it's this long-term problem that's been happening. Now, don't think of them as, as, as this church, a bit like the Beacon or, or Church Lane. The church w- was pr- probably much more met in di- lots of different places, and, and it wouldn't be the, the organised, structured thing that we have now. The church was spread across this, this area. Hymenaeus and Philitus, their teaching was spreading itself into little house groups and little uh, pockets of people like gangrene, Paul says. And this false teaching was, was uh, talking about saying the resurrection has already happened, and the resurrection already happened, meaning the resurrection of the dead, meaning the, 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 the blessings of the kingdom are all here today. Everything, all the good things of God are absolutely all here today, and bad things and, and things going wrong shouldn't happen. We call it today the prosperity gospel, don't we? Or the health and wealth gospel. And so this gospel was, was spreading into the church, and poor old Paul, writing this letter while he's in chains, or poor old Paul, poor old Paul's followers, who were kind of saying, well, if that's true, then, then, then what's going on with Paul? Why is Paul in prison if, 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 uh, if, if God's blessing should be upon his people and they should all be, everything should be going really, really well, which clearly wasn't the case. So Timothy, poor old Timothy, is wobbling a little bit. And, and one, one thing we have to remember about Timothy is Timothy didn't have, you know, if you go into Alex's office there, there's about 9,000 books on various different subjects. If you go into my office, there's about 200. But there's all these books that we have and all this wealth of experience of, 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 of hundreds of years of the church but poor old Timothy didn't have this so Timothy was kind of thinking well well what if I have got it wrong and, and what you know I've not heard from Paul for a long time and 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 Hymenaeus and Philitus their, their churches do seem to be growing and so Timothy good intentions wants to get it right but he's beginning to wobble so the problem we have is how do you solve a problem like Hymenaeus and Philitus and let's face it, it's never going to get a BBC airing, is it? But anyway, we'll, we'll use it for this evening. And the way Paul addresses the issue, the way Paul illustrates the issue, is he says, imagine a house. Now, I want to tell you a story before, which is, 
which is in some, some minute way similar to this image that Paul gives us. I was in Greg, and I have told this story once before, and I don't know why I tell it, because it makes me look very, very bad. Um, but, but I went to Greg's this one day, and anyone who's made me a cup of tea will know that I like my tea a particular way. Don't I, Agnes? I have Agnes knows. She's, she's made good tea for him. Looking around, actually, there's not many people here who have made me nice cups of tea. Um, or cups of tea, anyway. So I, I go into Greg's, paid 89p for a cup of tea, and I, I said, can I have a teaspoonful of milk in the tea? Because if you're paying 89p, you should be able to say, shouldn't you? And she, she went, yeah, okay, no problem. I said, if you like, I'll, I'll put the milk in. And she said, no, you're not allowed. <laughs> I went, oh, all right, okay, here we go. Um, so I, I said, okay, fair enough, but I'm really sorry to be a pain, just a teaspoonful of milk, or else I can't drink it. And so she, she poured the milk in, and, and, and when the milk goes in, I'm like, oh, just, oh no, it's just way too much milk, tea's ruined, and, and uh, people always do it to me, they go, do you want a cup of tea, Matt? And they, they're pouring, how much milk would you like? Oh, stop, stop. Tea's personal to me, you see. And so she poured all this milk in this tea, and I said, look, I can't drink that tea, unfortunately. I, any chance I can have another one, or any chance I could have, have a black tea, maybe. Uh, and I'll just take, take away a black tea. Anyway, she, she didn't want to make me another tea. She, she claimed she'd put the right amount of milk in, said it was too busy. And I said, forget it then. I said, I'm not drinking it. I didn't want to take it away and for her to think I was going to drink it. So I said, I'll leave the tea, just, just forget it. And so I went off on my way. I got back to where the car was parked and, and realised that I'd left my keys somewhere. <laughs> so I retraced my steps thinking, please don't be in Greg's. <laughs> and so about 10 minutes later, I walked into Greg's. Oh, there, here he is again, the man, man with the tea. Are you after, you after these, are you? So I had to walk back in and, and head, head, head low. And, um, but anyway, that doesn't make me look that brilliant. But the, the point of the story was I wasn't allowed to put my own tea, milk, in the tea because I was construed as kind of, I could have contaminated it somehow, I suppose. I could have uh, had anything on my hands. I obviously didn't look as clean as uh, other people might look, maybe. And they, they didn't want me to touch the milk that was going to go into their kitchen. And I guess anyone who's watched Breaking Bad, I could have put some rice in it, couldn't I, that I got from Etch-a-Sketches or something. I could have found some plan of, of uh, murdering people in Stafford. And that's probably what they have to assume, isn't it, for health and safety, that everyone's allowed to do that. But I couldn't do it. I, I was not in a position to, to, to put the milk in because of where I was standing, because of who I was, because I, I wasn't signed off as clean. And there's a little bit of, a, a little, a little bit of that image in what Paul says here. He says, imagine a house. So where are we? We're in 2 Timothy, verse 20. He says, in a house there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, and some are for common use. You might have read this story previously, as some are for <laughs> noble purposes, and some are for ignoble purposes. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. And so he says, within this house there are various vessels. The house we're to take as the church, the, 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 the wide, broader church. Within this house there are vessels, and vessels and instruments, it's the same word in Greek, and that often, often means people, so Paul was God's chosen instrument to reach the uh, Gentiles, so 
Within this house there are vessels, instruments, people. Some are for special purposes, or noble, if we read older translations, I prefer noble. And so some are for special purposes, which means teaching, particular <coughs> ways of teaching. And that actually means all of us. So some of the people within the church are to teach and speak of and proclaim and, and flesh out, however you want to put it, who Jesus is, the truth of who Jesus is. Some people are for special purposes, and some of them are for common use or ignoble. And Paul is talking here about these false teachers. There are false teachers who can't do anything within the church. They might do. They might speak out, but they can't do anything that's actually of use. They can't do anything that actually extends the kingdom, because what they are teaching is false. So there are people of special purposes, noble, people of ignoble purposes doing this false teaching. And the challenge that is given is that they're to cleanse themselves. Timothy and his friends are to cleanse themselves from the latter in order that they are to serve. So in Greg's, I wasn't allowed to pour the milk, but if I walked around the back, probably signed a contract of employment or something and put on a particular shirt and wash my hands and, and I don't know, sign something on the wall to say that I'd, I'd done that. If I'd done that, I'd have been able to pour the milk into the tea. I'd have been able to be part of, I could have rearranged the milk uh, cupboard if I'd wanted. I could have done whatever I wanted because I'd have made myself clean. And what Paul says here is he says to Timothy, in order for you to teach and teach rightly and truly, truthfully, you need to cleanse yourself. You need to cleanse yourself and then you'll be able to do the things that I've called you to do, that God has called you to do. So that idea of, we read, Lawrence uh, brought us to this passage this morning, which I really enjoyed. And, and it was uh, the letter of 1 Peter. Peter says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another deeply from the heart. So Peter is saying, now that you have purified yourself, so that's, it sounds quite, well, only Jesus can cleanse us, can't he? But Peter's saying, we're to purify ourselves. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to cleanse yourself in order to do the things that you're called to do. So that's the problem. The problem is that Timothy is getting kind of swayed and that within the church, somewhere around, there's people like Hymenaeus and Philetus and they're teaching stuff that isn't true and it's spreading like gangrene and it's causing these rifts within the church. That's the problem. The reality of this problem affects us today. So we might think back back then the problem was this false teaching. So so nowadays there might be people incorrectly teaching the Bible. There might be people, again, the health and wealth gospel has never really gone away, has it? There might be people within our town, perhaps, who promote this idea that if you believe in God, he'll make you rich. If you believe in God, you'll never be ill. You'll never have a headache. You know, I should perhaps have that uh, um, paracetamol, shouldn't I, Stuart, really? But uh, we'll see. We'll see if it, if it gets better first. But the reality of the problem is that within the church, throughout the Bible, and throughout much of history, God only uses the clean vessels. God calls the impure, God calls the people like Paul, who's off to go and persecute Christians and, 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 and kill people and round them up and put them, throw them in prison. God calls people who are impure, but he only uses people who are pure. In Romans 6.12, Paul calls them instruments, there's that word again, 
the same as vessels, instruments of righteousness. So Paul was God's chosen vessel. He was, once he was away from God, but then when, when God called him, I don't even remember that when we did Paul's journeys, the timeline says that he probably went into, into the desert for about three years to consider himself and to consider scripture and go through that, pro- that process of cleansing himself, of cleansing himself of his motives and, and what it is that God is saying to him. So, but, so the reality is that God overwhelmingly throughout the Bible calls people and uses people who are clean, who are clean vessels. And so we might look at that and think, well, actually then, if I want to be effective for God and leave a legacy in this area, if I want to bring people, my friends, to, to, to know Christ, then that has an impact on us, doesn't it? It, it? it matters how we live and it matters how we think. The imperfect are called, but only those who are clean vessels are used. We're to be set apart, aren't we? Have a look in Isaiah, if you wish to. Isaiah 6, and it's the, the kind of the call, the commission of Isaiah. Isaiah 6, verse 5. So Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet, of one, of the, one of the great prophets, We read his words earlier, they spoke of Jesus many, many years before Jesus came. And Isaiah says this, Isaiah says this, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, and it had taken which it had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So Isaiah meets with God. He's this man of unclean lips. And then this, this, this piece of coal which has been on the altar has contact with him. And the image we get is that he's cleansed. We read the rest of Isaiah and we see the impact that Isaiah has. To think that 300 years after the church began, ministers and bishops and all kinds of uh, titled people looked at this book of Isaiah and said, this speaks particularly of God, we must put this in the Bible. Well, Isaiah at one point was a man of unclean lips, but he had to be purified. When Jesus enters the temple early on in his ministry, who is it he quotes? He quotes Isaiah, a man of unclean lips, but he was purified and cleansed in order that God might use him. So the problem is that many of us might be contaminated. The problem is that some of us might be speaking incorrectly, be it through our faults or not, speaking incorrectly about God, and it affects those around us. And it's important for us to to cleanse ourselves in order to um, be that person that we're we're called to be in, in God's kingdom. So there's the problem, there's the, the reality that it, that it affects us. And then we get the solution. We get, uh, Paul gives us the solution of, of, of what we're to do. So we get the kind of the good news bit now, after the, uh, the, the painting of the picture of, oh, it's, 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 really, it's really dark. Verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So Paul says, flee 
flee the evil desires of youth. Now, if we could take that sentence just on its own, we might think, well, that means sexual sin, perhaps, the, the, you know, the desires of youth, or, or rage or something. But actually, when we read this in context, what Paul is saying here is flee the, 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 the incorrect motives for what you're doing. Timothy is a key, key person within the church, teaching and, and correcting people, speaking uh, God's word to people. And so Paul is saying, check your motives for when you do this, why you do this. So that the, the kind of the um, evil desires of youth might be self-indulgence. Maybe Timothy is looking over the road at Hymenaeus and Philitus' church and thinking, oh gosh, there, there they go, in, in there again, there's, there's a lot of them today. Look at all those cars parked there. If there was cars in those days, I don't, I don't think there was. But so, so maybe he's looking there and he's thinking, he's feeling a bit wounded by that and thinking, oh, I wish, I wish they were coming to my church. Well, Paul is saying that's the wrong desire, the wrong motive. Maybe it's about ambition and Timothy's thinking, I could create this wonderful empire here uh, and, and maybe I should just uh, give the itching ears or something more of what they want to hear. Well, Paul is saying that's the wrong motive, something to do with himself. Maybe it's about money. I don't know what the uh, deal was in the day of, of tithing, but maybe Timothy would, could have been forgiven for thinking, well, if we had more people come in, more people would tithe and I could have steak more often maybe at home. But whatever those incorrect motives might be for Timothy's teaching, Paul is saying flee from them. Flee from those and then pursue, it says, righteousness, faith, love and peace. Pursue means to intentionally do it. Pursue the good things of God. Righteousness, faith, love and peace. And I love the word pursue because pursue means that you don't have to actually reach the end, do you? It means you don't have to actually nail it and get it all correct and get it all in line. Pursue just means, it's like the Old Testament, the law in the Old Testament comes from the, the, the word, the verb, isn't it, to aim at. So as an as a, as a, 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 a arrowman, I don't know if that's even the right word, aims a bow, we aim at the law. So it means we might miss, we probably will miss, but we should aim at this. This is the standard. And so Paul says, pursue all the good things of God, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And if we look at those two words, just for a moment, they're both military words. They're both in the Greek. They're understood as military words. So that word for flee means to seek safety. Seek safety in a military sense. So if we seek safety from something in, in a military sense, that means we're, we're fleeing for our lives, aren't we? We're fleeing because there's the shells coming over or something. I haven't got a clue about the army, clearly. But that's what I imagine it is, isn't it? It's when we flee, it's because we're in grave danger. We're in physical danger. So Paul says flee in the same way as a soldier might flee from something when he's scared for his life, when he or she is scared for his life. So flee comes in many words in the, Old Te in the New Testament. Flee from idolatry and sexual immorality in Corinthians. Flee in 1 Timothy from greed. Flee in the Old Testament. We might think of, of, of Lot in, uh, when he was in Sodom and how he wasn't to linger and, and stay within Sodom. It was a bad place. He was to, to remove himself from there. Or, or the best one is, uh, is, is Joseph with, with Potiphar's wife. When Potiphar's wife gives his coat a quick tug, what does he do? He just runs, doesn't he? So he runs and his coat is left behind. So much so does Joseph want to be 
pursue the good things, righteousness, and, 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 and be the person, be, be, be holy and clean, so much so that Joseph literally flees and runs out the door. Flee is something I do now and again at our house. We have uh, on our walls, we have something called uh, a mosquito. I don't know if you've ever had a mosquito, and it might land on the wall, and be, you'll be going to sleep, won't you, and you'll just hear a zoom go past. And I just think, oh, please don't let Rachel hear that. And then Rachel will go, I've heard a mosquito. It doesn't sound anything like it, does it? So, uh, so I have to get out of bed then and find the mosquito, which involves flashing the lights on and off. And of course, because they're made by God, we can't just swat the mosquito, can we? Plus the fact it stains the wall. So I have to find the mosquito and, and, and cup it. We've all done it, haven't we? And then throw it out the window. Now, if any of... Sorry? I used to hoover them. Yeah. <laughs> but if any of that process goes wrong, any moment of that process, boy, do I run. Or if it's a spider or something. I've, just, I've got this fear of, of perhaps it's, going to go, um, it's bound to go in my mouth, isn't it, or something. It's bound to go through my eyeball. So if anything goes wrong, I, I run, I flee, because I'm absolutely petrified of them. I, I am. You ask Rachel, she's filmed me sometimes. And I said, don't you dare put that on Facebook. I, I will not uh, be very happy. Uh, but she's got video footage of it. And if you throw it out the window, invariably it just, it comes, straight just comes straight back, doesn't it? So that makes me flee as well. So it's always quite fun when we have, uh, when we have uh, insects in our house. But it's that kind of... I've gone from a military version of flee to running away from mosquitoes, haven't I? That's why I'm not the MOD chaplain and Alex is. So, but it's that same thing. We're in fear and we flee from it. That same <coughs> uncertainty, that same... Almost being afraid of, of that kind of that, that false teaching, that those things that aren't of God, in the same way, Paul says, flee from those things. So we flee from those things. Now, now I'm saying, uh, flee. Uh, well, well um, flee now sounds like there's a flea in the room, doesn't it? So flee has got a new meaning now. So we flee those things and we pursue the good things of God. And again, it's this military kind of word, pursue. Uh, means to kind of to chase after and if we're pursuing an enemy in the army I hope to do some years in the army shouldn't I so I can use these analogies better but we, we pursue people presumably with the intention of well if we don't harm them or, or get to them then they'll harm us so we it's that our safety depends on it our safety depends on how we we remove ourselves from people and our safety depends on how much we can we can attack these people. So Paul uses it of himself in Galatians, uh, the way that he pursued the Christians. It, Paul uses it of himself when he talks, uh, when, when, when Luke records his, his, um, his speech in Acts. And have, have a quick look at it. This is how Paul pursued Christians. Acts 26, verse 11. Paul says this. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. That's the extent to which Paul pursued people before he'd become a Christian. He pursued the Christians, didn't he? And it's with that same level of pursuing, that same level of, of rigour and intention and drive that, that Paul says you're to pursue the good things of God. I promise we won't go too much around the houses in the Bible, but let me 
point us to, to Hebrews 12.14, page 1211 if you're interested. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble that may defile many. Make every effort to pursue the things of God. We're to keep away from the spiritual danger and we're to go towards the good things of God that we should be um, looking for. Righteousness, faith, hope and love. So the problem is there's these teachers in the house, these ignoble people who are, who are teaching and it's harming people. The reality is it affects everyone because we might hear it. We might be in and around it for too long and it's harmful to us. And the solution is we must flee from them. We must remove ourselves from them. So let me finish off with having a look at what this looks like once we've fleed, once we've removed ourselves, and once we've gone after the good things of God. Verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So Paul no longer now talks about vessels and instruments. Paul now talks about a servant. He's got a picture of a servant is what we're to be like, we're to become. The image of Jesus says we might take the towel rather than take the weapon. We might see ourselves as people called to serve one another. This picture he gives is someone who's not quarrelsome, kind to everyone. That word kind means to, to, to it's from, from the hospitality word, to, to literally to pour ourselves out for people. To teach, but teach correctly. To gently instruct opponents, Hymenaeus and Philitus. And actually that's quite a hard thing to do. We put all them together. He's saying people like Hymenaeus and Philitus, you're not to quarrel with them, but you're to teach them correctly. And you're to teach them correctly, but you're, not to, uh, but you're to do it gently. So you need to do it very pastorally and, and not, to, not to cause them to, to, to be anxious or angry. And as someone in the uh, settlement process at the moment, which means that my name gets sent off to various churches and I read various church profiles... Many church profiles have incredible uh, paragraphs of what they're looking for in a minister. It's wonderful to, to read. Most of them want you to be good at uh, sort of working with, with people who are homeless, people who are of a different religion, uh, very pastoral, very good at preaching, able to play the guitar, uh, mow the lawn if you're kind of walking, you know, if you're walking past a church member's lawn and needs mowing. And it's, it's quite funny, and it's in the same way that, that, that ministers look for churches that don't exist as well. So it works both ways. But this picture is partly we're to look at it and go, that's really hard to be. This person that Timothy needs to be in the middle of Hymenaeus and Philitus and what they're doing, this person is called to be very, very hard, not quarrelsome, kind and pouring himself out, able to teach, but teach gently and not, not cause, uh, cause arguments. And it takes me back to Isaiah 42, that verse that we read earlier. Isaiah 42, a picture 
of who Timothy is called to be, a picture of who we're called to be within the church, to stand against the things that are not of God, to flee from them, but to chase after the truth of God. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will pour out my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations as the kindness. He will not shout out or raise his voice in the streets. It's not going to be quarrelsome. A bruised reed he will not break. He's going to instruct gently. A smouldering wick he will not snuff out. The delicacy of a, a smouldering wick, but he will not snuff it out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. His teaching the islands will put their hope in. So that's who we're called to be. Now we said right at the beginning of, of going through this book, it's particularly aimed, this book is at those in leadership, those who, who, who lead groups, those who speak perhaps, those who particularly feel called to mission, those who are the, the serious members of the church, if you like, who, who are really ready to, to, to be part of what God's calling them to do. And I think we get a picture in Isaiah 42 of that person. We get a picture in Jesus. And if those two pictures aren't helpful enough for you, we're to just be people who run away from those things that are harmful and incorrect and untrue and pursue only those things that are true and right and faithful and loving. The last bit of practical advice that Paul gives sentence I've saved till last which I'll have to find flee the evil desires of youth pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace along with those who call out on the Lord with a pure heart the final call that Paul gives to Timothy is flee these things that are, are wrong Pursue these things that are right, but surround yourself with people who call out on the call upon the Lord with a pure heart. In other words, I think he's saying, <clears throat> come to church, be part of a church, be part of a good church where the Bible is taught correctly. Be part of a good house group where, where, where the motives are good for teaching, the motives for finding what the Bible says are good, that the motives aren't false and harmful. Surround yourself with Christians who, you know, talk the talk and walk the walk, I think Paul is saying. Pursue those who call out to the Lord out of a pure heart. Let me pray for us and pray that these things might be true for us and then we'll close with some worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for its history from its roots, as it found itself, as it worked out its theology, it worked out who you were, right up to today. And Lord, we ask that you would protect us from teaching that is born out of an impure motive. Lord, that you would protect us from our own ambition within church, 
our own ambition to promote ourselves or to grow something for ourselves. Lord, we ask that you would cleanse us from that and that we would pursue only you. That we would pursue only you and the good things of you. We ask, Lord, that that pursuing would be making every effort. That that pursuing would be a real drive for your word, a real drive for who you are, a real drive for mission. A real drive for reaching people and seeing lives restored. Of seeing people healed, seeing people come to know you. And Lord, would you make us more like that picture in Isaiah 42? Would you make us more like Jesus? Pure heart, pure motives, pouring himself out for each and every one of us ultimately doing so on the cross. Lord, we examine ourselves, we examine our hearts before you. Amen. Let's just take a moment, be still.